0: I'll invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 3, this morning.
1: Ezra is in your Old Testament, right between 2 Chronicles and the book of Nehemiah. I'll invite you to find that, and once you've
0: located it, please stand for the reading of God's word. When the seventh month came, and the children of Israel were in the
1: towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Josadak with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booze, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not laid yet. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second year, after their coming to the, to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from twenty years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua, with his sons and his brothers, and Kadmiel, his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of hinadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and head of the Father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound
0: was heard far away. Let's pray. Oh God, open your word to us and open us to your word.
1: We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please be seated. John Piper said this, God created us for this, to live our lives in a way that makes him look more like the greatness and the beauty and the infinite worth that He really is. Let me say that in a simplified way. God created us for worship. Now, there are things that God has put us here to do, but central to all of them is worship. As believers, this side of heaven, we are both waiting and we are working, right? We're waiting for the fulfillment of all that God has promised to do for us, and to do in us, and to do with us. We're waiting for the promise of the coming of His kingdom in all of its glory. We're also working. We're working to advance the kingdom of God on earth, seeking to see His fame spread to every corner of the globe, seeking to see people become disciples of Jesus. So we're waiting for the Lord and we're working for the Lord all in anticipation of the fulfillment of his great promise, eternity in the new heaven and new earth. What I want you to see today is how important worship is for you and I while we are waiting and while we are working. Here's the main idea of this passage. As we wait for the Lord, and as we work for the Lord, we must worship the Lord. And today I want us to understand why is it that while we are waiting for the kingdom, while we are working for the kingdom, I want us to understand how very critical worship is. As we come to Ezra chapter 3, The Israelites have been allowed to return to their homeland following 70 years in exile. Let me just give you a brief context so you'll know what's going on. You remember after David was king, his son Solomon became king of Israel. After Solomon was king, his son Rehoboam became king. Under Rehoboam's reign, the kingdom of Israel split. It divided to the the northern kingdom of Israel with 10 of the 12 tribes, and the southern kingdom of Judah with 2 of the 12 tribes. Well, the northern kingdom of Israel instantly began to fall away from God and began to worship false gods. And in the year 722 BC, God sent the Assyrians to basically ransack the northern kingdom of Israel. And the people were all taken captive to Assyria, and basically the northern kingdom of Israel ceased to exist. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah remained a people of God, they remained an independent nation for about 140 more years. And in the year 586 BC, too, after they too had become unfaithful to God, God sent Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to ransack Jerusalem, tear down the walls, destroy the temple, kill many of the people, and take the people captive to Babylon. God had promised them, if they were unfaithful to him and his covenant, that they would be taken into exile, into captivity. And that's exactly what happened. But he also promised that after approximately 70 years, they would be allowed to come back to Jerusalem, back to the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, when we come to the book of Ezra, that's what the book of Ezra is about. The book of Ezra is about God fulfilling His promise to let the people come back to Jerusalem, back to Judah, to begin to rebuild the temple, so they can once again be a people for God and a people of God. And as we saw last Sunday night, Cyrus, the king of the media Persian empire, Allowed the Jews to go back, to go back and begin to rebuild the temple. And what we see as we come to chapter 3 is that process actually begins. The process of rebuilding that temple begins. Now, as we come to this chapter, keep this in mind. The promise of God to these people has only partially been fulfilled. They have been able to return to the land, some of them. But the promise still is not fulfilled. The temple still is not rebuilt. The city still is not rebuilt. So they're still waiting for God's promise to come to pass fully. But not only are they waiting, they're also working. What we see in this text is that the temple begins to rebuild, to be rebuilt, and that's a lot of work. So they're working. They're waiting. And I want you to see in this text that what the central concern is while they're waiting, while they're working, is worship. The focus of this chapter for the people that are waiting for God's promise, the people that are working for God's promise, the central activity of those people is worship. Now, what I want you to see in this chapter is three reasons we should make worship a priority. Three reasons to make worship a priority. Here's the first one. Because God is our safe place. During the seventh month, you see in verse 1, it is the seventh month. During the seventh month, Israel had two different religious celebrations, sometimes called feasts. And they were the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. So on this These two feasts, all the people gathered at Jerusalem to worship, to celebrate, and to remember. Now you notice the first thing they did as they gathered, verse 2, is to build
0: the altar. Why did they build the altar? Why is this priority? They built the
1: altar, verse 2, to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of the man, Of Moses the man of God. Now watch verse 3. They set the altar in its place for fear was on them because of the people of the lands. Interesting. They set up the altar because they were afraid of the people that surrounded them, the foreigners who lived in the land. See, here's the thing you have to keep in mind. These Jews who had returned from exile were very few in number. The city was in shambles. The walls had been torn down. They had no real defense. They had no military force as of yet. So the people are very vulnerable. And they're concerned about their safety. And they knew that there were many who lived in the land who weren't happy about the Jews coming back to Jerusalem. So if their concern is for their safety in the land, why wouldn't they start by organizing a military? Wouldn't wouldn't that be the thing you'd think they'd want to do first? Instead of giving attention to building the temple first, why wouldn't they build the wall first? Why wouldn't they organize the military first if their concern was for safety? Well, here's why. The altar, you see, is about worship. And their priority was worship. So here's the question we have to ask. If they're worried about being vulnerable to their enemies, why is their priority worship? You see, Israel had just come out of Exile. Keep this in mind. They had been defeated by the enemies sent against them by God. And they had just come out of exile and they had learned a very important lesson. And the lesson is this. God was their safe place. God was their safe place. Listen, they had learned their safety and their prosperity was not in their numbers. It was not in the strength of their military, in the size of their fortresses. It was in God. You see, when they were right with God, God fought their battles. They had learned not to trust, as the Bible says, in chariots and in horses, but to trust in the name of the Lord their God. So this is what I need you to see. Drawing near to God in worship was their first priority, Because He was their strength and shield. You understand? He was their safe place. As people of God, we are only truly safe when we are in Him. There is no safer place to be than under the shadow of His wing. When we are as close to Him as we can possibly get. You see, when we draw near to God in worship, we are placing ourselves under His protection. What is worship? Worship is running to God as our strength and our shield. And if you'll notice in these verses, the primary emphasis in their worship is the burnt offering. Do you see that? In verses 2-5, through five, the burnt offering is mentioned six times. Now, sometimes the burnt offering is called the whole burnt offering or the continual offering because the whole animal had to be offered and it was done so every morning and every evening so it was a continual offering. And this burnt offering was to teach Israel a very important lesson that their sinfulness required an atonement that was complete and continual. Their sin required complete, continual atonement. Now, I want you to think about this as you and I are believers in Jesus Christ. This points to Christ's atoning death and his total consecration to God. In other words, what the burnt offering pointed to, what it was a shadow of, was the sacrifice of Christ. You see, the sacrifice of Christ is the only true, complete, continuing atonement for sin. You see, in order to come to God in worship, a worship that pleases Him, our sin must be atoned for completely and continually. And the only way that can truly happen is through the sacrifice of Christ. What the burnt offering signified... It revealed a need for a complete continual atonement. But Jesus provided that atonement. Are you with me? For us what that means is if we're going to come to God in worship we must come in and through His Son who is our atoning sacrifice. The worship that God accepts is worship that is offered by those who have been washed in the spotless blood of the Lamb of God. Now, I want you to notice verse 4. It says, they also kept the Feast of Tabernacles. You may remember this feast. This is the one that celebrated God delivering the people from slavery in Egypt. Delivering them out of Egypt into the Promised Land. You remember when they were roaming in the wilderness, they lived in tabernacles. These were temporary shelters made out of branches and leaves and things like that. And so, once a year, they would build these makeshift, temporary shelters, and live in them as part of this feast to remember God's deliverance from Egypt. Now you and I, it's important for us to remember our deliverance. See, the heart of worship is adoring God and loving God for His deliverance. And we know that the deliverance that the Exodus portrayed was a picture of the true deliverance that we would have through the death of Christ. We celebrate God for his saving nature, for his saving acts, for his saving purposes. We worship God for his nature that enabled salvation. We worship God for his mercy, grace, forgiveness. We adore God for his acts that he accomplished in salvation. The incarnation of Jesus, His perfect life, the cross, the resurrection, giving the Holy Spirit, the promised second coming. We praise God because He even desired to save us. So we see, we talk about worship. We come to God in Christ having our sins atoned. We come to God in Christ celebrating His deliverance. I want you to also notice that this worship was conducted obediently. Look at verse 4. They kept the feasts of booths as it is written. Notice that phrase. They offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule. You see that? As each day required. Down in verse 5. The appointed feasts. You see all these phrases? What this indicates is that the people were being careful to worship the way God told them to, as God required. I wonder if you realize that the highest form of worship is obedience. Do you get that? The highest form of worship is obedience. Jesus said that the way our love for Him is evidenced is by keeping His commandments. Worship does not promote obedience. Obedience does not promote worship. Obedience is worship. Now I want you to think about this. Why is worship so important? That we come to Him through Christ as our atoning sacrifice. That we come to Him worshiping, celebrating our deliverance in Christ. That we come to Him worshiping in the way that pleases Him. Worshiping obediently. Why is it so important? Because God is our safe place. Don't be foolish enough to believe that our nation's might is what makes us safe. Our nation's might is not what makes us safe. It is not our law enforcement that keeps us safe. It is not our security systems and our locked doors and our personal arsenals that keeps us safe. It is our God.
0: Our safety does not rely on Smith and Wesson or Uncle Sam.
1: Our safety relies in God. We are only truly safe when we are in Him. That's why worship should be our priority during the time of our waiting for Jesus to return. Why? We need Him. He is our refuge. He is our fortress. He's our strong tower. The Bible says that it is when the righteous run to Him that we are safe. So we come to Him in His Son, through His Son who is our atoning sacrifice. We come to love and adore and celebrate His deliverance. We come striving to walk in obedience. And we come with a life dedicated to worship because He is our safe place. Listen, as we wait for the Lord and we work for the Lord, we must worship the Lord because He is our safe place. Here's the second reason. We worship the Lord because God's promise is coming to pass. We see this in verses 7 through 11. Now, after regular worship has been reestablished in those first six verses, in verse 7, we see the people then begin to give attention to working on the temple. You see there in verse 7, they commission the masons, they they commission the carpenters, they secure materials for the building. And it says, in the second month, Of the second year after they returned from exile. That they began to build the house of God again. Obviously what's the first thing that has to be done. If they're going to rebuild the temple. Well first of all they've got to lay the foundation. That's the part the whole structure would stand on. Pay attention to what happens. Once the foundation is laid. You can see there. In uh, verses 8 and 9, you see them gathering all the workmen come together. Verse 10, watch this. The builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. The priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good and His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. All the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Pay attention. Once the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, they have a worship gathering. And this is not just some impromptu spur of the moment gathering. This is an official worship celebration. Notice it says, the priests came wearing their priestly garments. Came blowing the trumpets. The Levites and the other temple servants came with their cymbals. They're following the instructions that David gave in First Chronicles 16 as he established the formal worship of God in the house of God. This is what it says in First 1 Chronicles 16.4 Then David appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief. Second to him was Zechariah, Jael, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Mattathiah, Elia, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, and Jael, who were to play harps and lyres. Asaph was to sound the simples. And Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow trumpets regularly before the ark of the covenant of God. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgivings be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. See, David has organized the formal worship of the temple. What you see them doing here in uh, Ezra 3, is they're reestablishing the formal worship in the temple. The foundation is laid, and they're not going to wait for the building to be completely finished. They're going to go ahead and reestablish the formal worship of the temple. And it says, all the people shouted with a great shout, verse 11. Now, I want you to see the question. Here's this. Why the celebration? Why? There's still no house of God. There's just a foundation. They're still very vulnerable and weak people. They don't have a military. What's the reason for worship? Evidence. Evidence. God was keeping his promise. The foundation. Listen. Listen. The foundation of the temple was evidence that God was keeping His promise. The foundation of the temple had been laid. That is something they could see. It is something they could touch. It is something that proved there will really be a temple again. You understand? Now they've got something they can see and feel. And it's it's physical evidence that... The promise of God will come to pass. God is going to do what he said. We are back in Jerusalem. The foundation has been laid. God is going to do it. He brought them back from exile. He reestablished them in worship again. The foundation was laid. It's all coming together, you see? Just like the Israelites were waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. We're too waiting, right? And we worship while we wait. Why do we worship? Because there is evidence that His promise is coming to pass all around us. Think about it. The Messiah that God has promised to send has already come. The Christ, the Deliverer, the King. We already know who He is. The Holy Spirit that God promised to send to dwell in His people In Joel chapter 2, in Jeremiah, and in Ezekiel 36, that Holy Spirit has already come to dwell in us. Listen, all that is evidence. You can probably say with me, I am not yet all that God has promised I will be.
0: Amen? I am a work in progress. But listen, but I
1: am in progress that makes sense? I'm not yet all I ought to be, but I am not what I used to be. How do I explain the change, the progress I see in my life? It's evidence. It's evidence. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. It's evidence that God is doing what He said He would do. It proves to me that His promise is Coming to pass. Listen, think about this the the world around us and the way it is, and all that we see that disturbs us so greatly. You know what it is? It's evidence. What we see happening is exactly what Jesus said would happen. That's evidence. His promise is coming to pass. You feel the Holy Spirit of God inside of you as He brings conviction to you, as He brings you joy when you worship, as He opens your eyes to see things in the Scripture. That Holy Spirit is evidence. It's proof that His promise is coming to pass. The life change, you see, it's proof that His promise is coming to pass. I remember the first church I ever pastored was County Lyon Baptist Church in Ovette, Mississippi. I was there from 2001 to 2007 for six wonderful years. Well, we built a brand new sanctuary and two story educational building while I was there. And, and I remember when we voted to do it, it seemed like we weren't never going to get that thing really going. We talked about it for so long, we finally voted on it, and think, ah, it seems like it's taking forever. And I remember the day we finally poured the concrete. I remember the the day, the next morning, I went outside early. Nobody was there, and I I walked out in the front yard and looked across the street, and that that whole concrete had been poured. The foundation was there. And I remember thinking, this is really going to happen. We're really going to get this done. Listen, I want you to think, there's evidence everywhere. If you have eyes to see, the evidence that this this is really going to happen. He really is going to come back. And because they saw the evidence, what did they do? They worshipped and they sang. Verse 11, He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. They were praising and giving thanks. They shouted. Why? Because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. God was doing what He said. Listen, God is even now, even now this moment, in the process of fulfilling His promises to us as His children. So we worship God for His goodness. We worship Him for His steadfast, loyal love. We worship Him as we wait for the Lord and work for the Lord. We worship the Lord. Why? Because He is our safe place. Because God is fulfilling His promise. And here's the third reason we worship while we are waiting and working, because sin has devastating effects. Sin has devastating effects. I want you to notice in verse 12, there were some of the people who had come back from exile who were having a hard time worshiping. They were having a hard time joining in the celebration. Their joy was mingled with sadness. Look what it says, verse 12. Many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid. Though many shouted for joy, they were weeping. Why? Why were they sad? Because just one look at the foundation of this new temple made it crystal clear that this temple would be no match for the magnificent temple of Solomon. It, it was really going to be born. It was really going to happen. And, and that's good. But it wasn't going to be anything like the temple of Solomon's day. That's why all the younger people who never saw that temple were celebrating and shouting for joy. And the old men who had seen the other temple, their celebration was mingled with sorrow because they couldn't help preparing this with the former. You know what the grief is? The grief ultimately comes from realizing what sin had cost them. The foundation of this temple was a visible reminder of the price that their unfaithfulness to God had cost him. Yes, God was keeping his word to his people. Yes, they were back in Jerusalem and a new temple was being built. But none of that erased the devastating effects that the sin of the people had. You know what? For some people, the new temple would only be a reminder of what they lost. It would only be a reminder of what they lost I want you to see how this relates to worship as we wait for the Lord and as we work for the Lord sin is an ever-present reality and even though we've been washed in the blood and our sins have been forgiven praise the God sin still has consequences in this life it can't steal your salvation But you know what it can steal? It can steal your joy. Sin can wreck your relationships. It can wreck your finances. It can wreck your health. Sin can have devastating effects in this life. But I want you to think about this. The more we draw near to God... The more we become enthralled with who God is and what He's done in Christ, the more we find our pleasure and our satisfaction in Him, the less sin has an appeal to us. Does that make sense? The closer we draw to God, the easier it becomes to say no to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Does that make sense? The closer we draw to God, the easier it becomes to say no to sin. Let me say it another way. The more we worship, the less we sin. Do you get that? The more we worship, the less we sin. That's why as we wait for the Lord and work for the Lord, we must worship the Lord. Because the more we worship, the less we sin and we avoid the effects of sin in our life. I surrendered my life to Christ when I was a senior in high school in January of my senior year at Calvary Baptist Church up here on Church Street in Columbia. At that point in life, I had two groups of friends. I had the group of friends I had had before I started going to church which had just been recently. I had only recently started going to church again. And then I had the fr- people who at church, the guys who had become my friends at church. Well, in the months after I surrendered to Christ, I discovered something. The more I spent time with my friends at church, the easier it was to make a break from my sinful lifestyle. The more I... Sp- time with my friends who were not Christians, the harder it became to break free from those old sinful ways and sinful habits. That makes sense, doesn't it? The more time
0: you spend with your focus on the Lord, the easier it is to avoid sin. The less time you spend with the Lord, The less your focus is on the Lord, the more your focus
1: is on the world, the harder it becomes to avoid sin. Very simple. The more you worship, the less you sin. So you should worship. You should worship weekly as we gather together as a family of believers. To worship and adore the Lord. You should worship daily. In your quiet place, singing and praying and reading scripture, you should worship constantly. What does that mean? It means you've trained yourself to see God's beauty and glory and greatness and blessing in everything around you. You've just trained yourself to see God in everything. And as you see the beauty of nature, you just worship, just flows out in a sentence prayer God, I just see your beauty everywhere. We make worship a lifestyle daily, weekly, constantly. Some of you can testify how missing church for an extended period of time negatively affects your walk with God. People will say, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Baloney. Baloney. There's not a biblical example of one Christian who was not engaged and
0: involved with another group of believers. Not one. It's hogwash. It's not true. You don't have to be in a church to become a Christian. Going to church is not a
1: prerequisite for becoming a Christian. But when a person is born again and filled with the Spirit of God, he's going to be in the house of God. And that's just the way it is. What does that mean for those people who've made professions of faith when they
0: were kids years ago but haven't been in church in years? They're lost. They're lost. You can be backslidden. Absolutely. But you can't be
1: backslidden 30 years. That's not backslidden. That's a habit. That's a lifestyle. When you live a certain way 30 years, you haven't
0: slid in your walk with God. You ain't got to walk
1: with God. So, you know, sometimes love them. You'll, people. I've heard people say, well, my my husband doesn't go to church or my wife doesn't go to church. And, but, you know, but they say they're saved. So I just have to take their word for it. Don't. Because they may say one thing, but this book says something else. They're not saved. You need to be praying for their salvation. You don't need to take their word for it. You need to take God's word for it. The point is. The less you worship, the more you sin. When you, when you get away from God, sin begins to enter your life. The closer you draw to God, the less you sin. That's why worship is so valuable. That's why it's so important that while we wait, and while we work for the promise of God, we worship. Now, I, I don't want to overwhelm you with a long list of to-dos today. But I want you to think about this. I, I want to just ask you, because worship is so important. Because God is our safe place. Because God's promises are being fulfilled. Because sin has devastating effects. Worship is so important. I want to focus just a minute on your daily worship. We've been talking about this on Wednesday nights. We've been teaching you different things about prayer. And We talked last Wednesday night about a way you can spend time in the Word of God. Listen, if you're not coming on Wednesday night, this is some of the most practical teaching you're going to get on practical ways to help your walk with God, you need to come on Wednesday night because that's not recorded. It's not put on the website and you're missing a blessing. So think about, think about your daily worship. I, I want to ask yourself a question or two. How can I promote
0: daily worship in my life? What can you do to establish or increase
1: or enhance your daily worship with God? If you don't have a daily time of worship, then you need to establish it. If you have one, maybe it's not regular, so maybe you need to increase it. Or maybe you have a regular time with God and you'd like to think about how you can enhance it, how you can make it better. You know something a lot of people never think to do that you could do? You could add singing to your daily worship. Take a hymn book home with you. I give you permission you can take it home, write your name in it.
0: I'll buy a replacement if we need to. Take a hymn book home. I have two at my house. Use it during
1: your worship time. You know what's great to do before you actually start trying to read and pray to get your mind in a good place? Sing a worship song. You don't have to to sing loud. You don't have to even sing out loud. You can can sing in your own mind. Listen, you can sing great in your head. Listen, I sound just like Elvis when I sing in my head. A blend between Elvis and Steve Perry. I'm kind of somewhere in between those two. Worship. Sing. Use a book of prayers. The Valley of Vision. Some of you, I've talked about this before and a couple of you have asked me to buy it for you. This is a collection of Puritan prayers. This will add wonderful, wonderful, Quality prayers to your quiet time. Another th- a thing you can use is actually something Episcopalians use called the Book of Common Prayer. It's an Anglican Episcopalian. It- it's a whole complicated book, but there are some prayers and readings in it that can enhance your worship wonderfully. Maybe make your, some changes to your schedule so you can have a worship time that's more consistent. Maybe there's some things you can do to remove distractions. Like don't bring your phone with you when you go to have your quiet time. I have my quiet time in my office, in my little study at the house, but my phone stays by my chair in the living room. What can you do to make your time with God each, each day consistent, more meaningful, free of distractions? Maybe you ought to go home this afternoon and think about that. You know what we're doing right now? We're waiting. We're waiting for the promise of God, for God to usher in the kingdom with all the glory and beauty of blessings attached to it. We're not just waiting for that day, we're working for that day. We're working for the cause of the kingdom. But if we want to work well and wait well, we have to worship well.
0: As we wait for the Lord and work for the Lord, we must worship the Lord. Let's pray.